Disagreements in marriage? Are you kidding? <laughs> well, when two become one, it can be a challenging process of merging personal desires, especially when there's a split opinion. Resolving conflict in marriage. That's our topic today on Focal Point. Welcome to Focal Point with pastor and Bible teacher Mike Fabares. On this Friday program, we're going to share a lively conversation between Pastor Mike and his wife, Carlin Fabares, about resolving conflicts between husbands and wives. And I assure you, we'll be getting down to the nitty-gritty of family life. For instance, when you want one thing, but your spouse is fiercely fixed on something else, how do you arbitrate a peaceful solution? Well, to get us started, here's the Executive Director of Focal Point, Jay Wharton. Jay? Thank you, Dave. Here we are again with another Ask Pastor Mike on marriage. I have with me Pastor Mike and his wife, Carlin Fabares. Well, guys, in previous Ask Pastor Mike's on marriage, we have discussed what a biblical marriage looks like and practical ways to maintain that biblical marriage. But unfortunately, there are always hiccups. Those, those times that we have some conflict. So today we need to deal with those things. Okay. So Yikes. what are some of the things, I know you both have counseled married couples, what are some of the things that you have seen that cause conflict in marriages? I like the way you asked that, the way we've counseled couples, because of course we've never had any conflict. No, course, no, that was that's my first why comment. I, yes, that's oh, why I brought it that. Very yeah. helpful, yes. Of well, course. of course we have conflict, and every marriage has conflict. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Um, man, I don't know, Carlin, what, what do you see as, I mean, money is always a problem? Right. Yes, and uh, parental issues are always a problem. Yeah, parenting. You know? Knowing, making yep. decisions about your kids. Yep, I mean, certainly there are things I wanted to do with the kids, and Carlin wasn't keen on it, or things she wanted to do, and I wasn't keen on. And yep. Yeah, I mean, I think everything that relates to decisions, right? I mean, there's so much battle, it seems, between I make a decision, you make a decision, we don't like the decision. I mean, we're just human beings with two different sets of eyes on every situation, and it's hard. You're going to have conflict in marriage. And conflict by that, I mean, there's just going to be disagreements, and you're going to disagree on how to do everything, how to spend money, when to go on vacation, where to go on vacation, you know, what to do with an off day, should I, you know, whatever it is. I mean, there's always something that we're going to have two different views on. I don't know, Carlin, what what are some of the things we hear from people and, and the things that we deal with? We definitely have to deal with conflict, even when it comes to who makes the decisions about what, yeah. you know, and, and even in spiritual issues, who makes the decisions about what? Right. Training, yeah. scheduling, sure. calendar, giving, dinner, right. giving, yeah. yeah, dinner's out, dinner's home, yeah, all kinds of things. Yeah, schedules. That's a big, that's a big deal. You mentioned something early on, conflict, and you said different views on that. Conflict has become such a pejorative word. But it doesn't necessarily need to be. Right. Yeah, but because disagreement is really the, at the base of it, right? The, the idea is we disagree, and, and there are ways to deal with your disagreement, and it doesn't Healthy have, ways. Yeah, there are better ways than others, right? I mean, there's no way around the fact that if you have two different views on something and two different desires and two different desired outcomes, you're going to have some conflict. But, I mean, you talk about what underlies that. It, it, I mean, ultimately, it's not getting what you want, right? I mean— that's what causes conflict. When you do something, Carlin, that blocks what I want in some way, it can be as small as what I'm going to do uh, it's some afternoon or what I'm going to do at some weeknight. I come home and say, this is my expectation and that's your expectation. And as soon as I feel like what I want is somehow thwarted, that's the challenge. That's the basis and ingredients for conflict, is it not? 
Absolutely. I mean, it could be as simple as deciding what time you are going to go to bed at night with your spouse. You know, some are early birds, some are late nights. I mean, that's one of the first things you have to deal with as a married couple. There's differing expectations and uh, you got to figure out how to deal with it. Yeah. How late to stay at an event at at church. I mean, we're at church all the time, but you know, is it time to go now? Should we stop and talk to that person? You know, how do we balance our expectations when she has a set and I have a set? And when you come down to when it turns into a real warfare, you know, when there's a real argument, I, I think so often it's the selfishness of saying, I want what I want and I don't want to bend, I don't want to budge, whether it's I want this with the kids or I want this for our money or I want this with our time. And I think you've got to recognize a lot of the things that are growing out of conflict, the things that fuel the conflict, is a real selfishness of wanting things my way and being inflexible with that. You said people take on different roles maybe in the decision-making a little bit. You talked a little bit about that. Is that appropriate? Should a wife take on a, a leadership role in a particular area and a husband take on a different leadership role? another area and that's how you deal with the the conflict or the issues that may come up from that it can be i mean there are certain you know decisions you make that you say you know here is something i want you to have complete you know autonomy over deal with this figure this out but ultimately i mean that doesn't in any way undermine what the bible has to say regarding leadership in the home ultimately a husband in scripture as unpopular as it is to talk about today is going to be held responsible for the leadership of the home it's like at my my role here in the church we have several pastors on staff and and i i'm the senior pastor and i understand there comes some responsibilities with that it doesn't mean in any way that i'm making all the decisions, right? Of course not. I've got a team of guys that are making a lot of independent decisions, and they do that because there's a set of agreements that say, this is your area, this is our area, this is what we're going to decide together. That's the kind of thing that happens in the home all the time. I mean, right, Carlin, there's plenty of situations, you know, there's no interest at all that Mike has in getting involved in that. And then there's others you say, "I I better sit down with Mike and figure this out. Yes, it's like delegated responsibilities. You know, we delegate things in the home. We delegate even certain parts of our budget are delegated to me, and I have the authority to make decisions about that, and I don't have to, you know, ask Mike if I can drive through and get... Uh, a Diet Coke today on my way home because, you know, I have control and delegated authority over a portion of our budget. But we've decided that together. I don't have to ask about every single little decision, even though he is the leader in the home, because we've discussed it and he's delegated certain authority to me See, over yeah. schedule, over calendar, over children, over lots of different right. areas. But your example was so minuscule. When it comes down to it, you've got so many things. Big decisions you're making has nothing to do with saying, you know, I know Mike's expecting to weigh in on this. There's so much that, that I don't. Right. right. And especially in my home, I feel like I have such a great wife that is so capable that, you know, when we say, oh, go plan this, figure this out, do this, and, and she has the same expectations for me in certain areas. And I mean, I think some people think it's crazy the kinds of delegation that we have in our marriage in particular, which I'd be embarrassed to say all of them. But I mean, some things it's like Carlin will say, I don't even care what you'd plan for vacation, just plan it, Absolutely. which I know most women wouldn't want to do necessarily, but I hopefully I proved myself in, yes. in, in planning good vacations. And then there's other things I say, I don't even care what you choose to do with this house or this part of the house or, you know, spend this, do whatever you have to do, just manage it. We have that kind of delegation of responsibility, I think, in our home that may be more extreme than other homes, but we certainly aren't sitting there saying we have to agree on everything or we have to consult on everything. And I think that's helpful. The expectation of some of that independent decision-making, I think, is very helpful in our marriage, at least. 
And that's been forged out through years. I yes, mean, that's not right. something you, you walked into the first day and went, here's all the things we're going to do. It's a give and take discussion over years. But the great thing about Carlin, I think, in, in our marriage is that, and I hope I do the same, when I recognize her leadership over a certain area of our home or our life or whatever, our budget, whatever it might be, I, I try to be as flexible, just like I do in, in my job and at work and in the church. And I think she does the same. And I think that kind of willingness to say, I'm going to let Carlin figure this out, and I am going to respect where this ends up. Now, not everything is that way. Obviously, we have a date night every week. We talk about things in our home. We're having our date night tonight. We'll go out. I mean, we'll talk about stuff that we need to decide together. And certainly in parenting, a lot of it's that way, too. You know, when you're dealing with the kids, particularly when they're small, there's a lot of decisions you have to make. Should they go on this camp? Should they be a part of this team? You know, they want to be in travel ball. Should we let that happen? Those are the kinds of decisions we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about. But so much of the rest of our lives, the division of labor, if you will, and saying, okay, you do this, I do this, just being flexible when my wife makes a decision, I say, well, I wouldn't have made it that way. Well, then I'm going to shut up about it. I don't need to voice that. And I think Carlin does a great job of, of not being critical of, of my leadership decisions. And that's a great point. You know, if you've delegated authority, you can't sit there and be the peanut gallery in the back saying, well, that's not how I would have done it. I mean, that was such a great comment that you made there. If the delegation of the authority is in my camp, then you've given me permission. And I'm, I'm not saying I never talk to you. That's where I was going when you were talking, was thinking about just even the amazing thing that we have cell phones and text messaging. Yes. And we are constantly, if you saw Mike's and my thread with one another on our text messaging, we're constantly talking, but we're also here and there, at least every couple days, talking about decisions that have to be made and bouncing things off of each other. It's not like we never talk about these things just because I've been delegated that authority, uh, we're constantly getting input from one another about all these things, even See, yeah, and, today. And Jay, I was just going to say, we've kind of got far afield from our initial topic, <laughs> but that's helpful because when there's conflict, I think so often uh, there hasn't been clarity about you know what we're going to do. What If there's something important that we're going to have two separate opinions on uh, and we have to consult, well, then we better consult ahead of time. And we may not be happy with the compromise, but when it comes to the, a lot of the things in our marriage, which I do think think is probably more than most couples of saying, listen, you take care of this, I'll take care of this. Then we just avoid conflict by saying, I'm going to be flexible. And I, I hope we're that way. I, I mean, I don't want to misrepresent our marriage, but I feel like there's a kind of uh, willingness for both of us to say, uh, it doesn't really matter. I'm not going to care so much about that. Lowering our expectations. I think being involved in church and ministry, which all of our listeners can do, get involved in other people's problems, and you will start to recognize the things that most couples argue about probably aren't even worth arguing arguing about. I mean, just to care about the bigger issues of life, and you can do that by rolling up your sleeves and serving in the local church, I think it can short circuit and help you step around a lot of the conflicts that seem so petty in other marriages. Let's talk about conflict a little bit more, but maybe let's get underneath. What are some of the emotions and attitudes maybe that are causing conflict in marriages? Well, it's certainly, I think, anxiety. If you think about what we've just talked about, if I'm anxious about well, we're, we're going to miss an opportunity to do what I want, or I'm afraid that perhaps my kid is going to get hurt if we let him do this, or you know, we're going to let the kids stay up, whatever. I don't know. It's just all the little things that you can worry about. And, and Carlin and I have for a long time tried to talk out, well, what if? 
you know, what if, what if the thing happened that we're so scared is going to happen? And, and most of the things we're worried about and anxious about that causes the conflict in marriage, you recognize it's not that big of a deal. It's really not that big of a deal. Right. And, and I think you've got to think it through. Why do we worry? Satan is so good at, at deceiving us into worrying about things that don't really matter. And, and most of them don't even happen. Right. That's the other thing. You're w- wasting time on something that will probably never happen. Right. And, and I, well, Carla and I have talked about this on previous broadcasts, but if you don't have your own time in the Word to be able to deal with things like pride and patience and just kind of the irritability that comes by not being in sync with God's Spirit, I think you're going to have a lot more conflict because as you use the word emotions, there's a lot of emotions that get quelled every day when you spend time praying and you spend time in the Word. And that is so helpful, I think, to kind of get that pacified in my relationship with God, get my own heart settled, and then go into my day and get into my, you know, whatever it is, decision-making with my wife or date nights or whatever it is, that's super helpful. Well, and I was going to say, I think my number one thing I think that I would say causes conflict in marriage is selfishness. You know, I you brought it up earlier. I want what I want, and I want it the way I want it, and I want it when I want it, and I want it how I want it. I mean, when those things are what's ruling your heart, you can't let things go. There's so many things in marriage we just need to let go. And... Um, so many of them don't matter, but so many of them are just tied up with what I want, um, my unmet expectations, right. instead of the, thinking through what's what is real, this really matter. And I was going to say after the fact, too. you got to let it go after the fact. When something happens and it's not the way I wanted it to be, and I think Carlin is good at this, being able just to forgive it and let it go. And I think if your expectations aren't met, right, because the night has already happened and we didn't get to do what we planned on doing or what you wanted done, I, I just think to be able to say, let's just forgive. It's a great word. I preach on it all the time, the Greek word for you know, uh, forgiveness, that word, aphiomai, uh, to let it go, to release it. Just give it up. Put your palms down and let it drop out of your hand. If you can be good at, at forgiving... And I think you were just describing, Carlin, a a forgiveness before it happens, a kind of a flexibility and openness. But even if your expectations aren't met, to let it go. Can we just start over? Let's start fresh and move forward. Let, let, Let go the frustration. So let's say you haven't done that, and now you've got some unresolved conflict. How do you guys deal with that? And how would you counsel others to deal with that? You know, I think the world is going to say, if it's an unresolved conflict, let's get it all out on the table oh, and fight yuck. it out and and you know let's make sure every last expectation and disappointment is on the table but i think carlin and i have learned and i think there's something to this in terms of bearing with one another and forgiving each other as christ has forgiven us to, to quote colossians you've got the idea of of just sometimes the conflict is going to go away if you just sleep on it or if you just you know give it a, a couple hours uh, I don't think everything has to be settled point by point and issue by issue. Yeah, and I think we're we're sold a bill of goods in our world that we're supposed to, it's the right thing to do to vent and to share everything that you feel when all it does is put this on a loop in your you know spouse's head and they have to deal with those words that you have said, not just an hour later, but a week later and a month later and a year later, when it's not necessary for us to share every single thought that's in our head or every single feeling that's in our head. Time makes a big difference. 
Mike's right. So is sleeping, waiting till the next day to think this through, have a good meal. He said, take a walk, maybe go to the gym. But thinking it through over time instead of immediately is super important. Yeah. And, you know, if you if you need to vent, venting to a journal, yep. venting to the Lord, it's although good. even that I would caution because Be I careful, feel like yeah. at some point you have to have a high enough view of God to realize who you're talking to when yes. you're venting to him and shaking your fist at him and saying, I'm complaining about the big oaf of a husband you gave me, God. I mean, that's not right either. That sounds like the garden, you know, venting to God. Yes. But hopefully you're learning God's word at the same time and you're able to go, okay, this is the the person I'm talking to here, I need to temper my venting because right. I'm talking to the living God. Right. And you mentioned the garden, the garden in Genesis 3, when you know Adam ends up blaming the situation on his wife. And I do think we can go to God sometimes uh, irreverently, although I, there's a balance there, because yep, certainly yep. in Scripture you see people giving, the, venting their frustration to God and and, uh, and and I get that Habakkuk's a good example, you know, Psalm 78, there's just a lot of good examples in Scripture of that. But you know, there has to be a sense in which even with God, there's restraint in our yes. lips, as Ecclesiastes says. But I agree with you 100%. To vent to your spouse when you're just frustrated, generally not a good idea. I'd rather sit down and, and pray it out or watch, write in my journal, like you said, do something that's going to try and kind of unravel my thoughts. And, it, and this sounds funny, but I think if you have a pattern in your life of actually serving on a regular basis where you're serving other people, you tend to get out of your own head about your own, most of them are petty issues that you're dealing with. And uh, not all, of course, there are some huge issues that people are dealing with, and that's not what I'm talking about. But most of our conflicts are about petty things that don't matter. And when you we've are made serving- We've them to be bigger than they yeah, actually are. Yeah, we've made a mountain out of a molehill, right? You know, because if we just look at other people who are in pain in our church and we serve them, or we serve children in our midst, and we serve singles in our midst, and, you know, high schoolers, we start to get the eyeball off of ourselves. It gives us a different perspective, I think, on our conflicts, and it gives us a different perspective on what really matters 100 years from now, and can I let this go, and is this really that important? Serving others helps. It gives us an eternal perspective, even. Is there a diagnostic about how much we should say and not say? Where's that Where's that line, I guess? You mean to our spouse? How yeah, much do we say and how much exactly. do we not say? I would say you probably shouldn't be having a deep discussion with your husband or even a dripping, a constant dripping. I have that verse, it's better to live on a roof than be with a constant dripping wife in my car, a post-it note right now. I think it's better not to say things until you've, you're having a regular quiet time, a really good regular quiet time. And then after you're having that or you're spending time in prayer and you still feel compelled to talk to your husband about it, then maybe that's the time to have a, a sit down. But a constant dripping is not good. Saying everything you think is not good. Saying it even right this second when you're all emotional is not good. I mean, I think all of those are parameters that we should have around what we should say. And how much, you brought up how much, I try to determine that when I'm in prayer with the Lord. Not everything needs to be said. So I think that prayer really helps me temper that. Sounds like taking some time, let the emotion quell, so that gives you an opportunity to say, okay, what's logically, what's important for me to talk about Absolutely. right Absolutely. I think we say too much often in conflict. Mm. You, can, you can never get those words back. It's better just to bite your lip, you know, gave us, God gave us two ears, right? One mouth, be, be quick to hear, slow to speak. And I think that's just, it needs to be the pattern of, of our communication, especially when we're frustrated. If you were speaking to married couples right now, 
and they're dealing with this, what's one takeaway, one key thing, if they could work on this, it would help them immensely in conflict in their marriage? Well, I would say one of the things we often talk about, even in premarital with people, is, you know, if you think the whole point of your marriage and your spouse is to make you happy, right? If you think this is going to fulfill you, as Carlin likes to say with her famous illustration, which you may have stolen from someone, I don't know, but, you know, to have two ticks and no dog, you know, trying to suck the life out of, of some host, but really there is no host. They're, they're just trying to get fulfillment and satisfaction and, and significance and security from the other person, then you're going to be frustrated. I think unmet expectations is causing so much of our conflict. And I think what we need is to recognize, as Carlin always says well, is that you, we have to find all of the profound needs of our lives in our relationship with God, then we're freed up and healthy enough spiritually, I think, to be able to meet the needs of other people and care. If not, you're going to be constantly disappointed, and when you're disappointed with unmet expectations, you're going to be mad at your spouse, and you're going to have a lot of conflict. And for me, prayer is the key. I mean, I've said it a couple times, but it's true. Prayer is the key. If you have conflict in your marriage, you need to be spending, I think, more time praying about it than you're stewing about it and talking about it. I would say even just give it equal time. If you're going to talk to your husband, give prayer equal time. And what I mean by that is you go in your prayer closet, you shut the door, you have nothing, no computer, just you and God talking about it. And I always tell women they need to be praying about whatever this conflict is, whatever this issue is, days on end, 15 minutes a day, try it for a week, 15 minutes a day in your prayer closet, praying for nothing else but that one thing and see if you don't come out and you deal with your conflict differently, and you say the right amount of words to your husband about this conflict instead of too many or too few. And listen to your prayers. Just make sure your prayers aren't, God, change him, God, change him, God, change him. I want things my way. Do it my way, God. I mean, you've got to look at how selfish and childish our prayers so often are. We need to be wanting God's glory in our marriage. We want God's honor. We want what's good and right and best, and a lot of times that doesn't mean I get all my desires met or that everything goes my way. A lot of times God is shaping me by having having me live as an unperfect person with an unperfect, you know, imperfect wife, you know, and that imperfection I've got to recognize is going to always remind me that I have to change as much as I want my spouse to change. It's important that I just don't pray selfish prayers when I pray. Well, I think that's tremendous advice, and I'm sure that will be a great help to our married couples out there and those even planning on getting married. So thank you both for being here and doing that. No great problem. to be here. And uh, remember, if you have a question for Ask Pastor Mike broadcast, you can uh, go to focalpointradio.org and submit it on our Ask Pastor Mike page. Back to you, Dave. Thanks, Jay. And thank you, Pastor Mike and Carlin Fabares, for a helpful conversation on the hot topic of resolving conflict in marriage. You're listening to Focal Point and a special edition of Ask Pastor Mike. Remember, you can listen or download the audio file of today's program to share with your spouse or a friend when you go to focalpointradio.org. And while you're online, why not leave us a note sharing how this program has impacted your faith or your family? Or ask Pastor Mike your own question at focalpointradio.org. Focal Point is dedicated to bringing you the truth, without compromise and without watering down God's Word. And we hope you've benefited from listening to Pastor Mike apply biblical truth to the very real events and even conflicts that pop up in life. And as we heard today, in marriage, 
It's our goal at Focal Point to present the gospel with an emphasis on accuracy and clarity. And we're grateful for our faithful listeners who partner with us to make this ministry possible. Now, you can make a one-time donation or set up a monthly contribution today. By giving, you're standing with us on the power of God's Word to effectively answer the hard questions in life. So give generously today at focalpointradio.org. Or if you prefer, write to us at Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. And to say thanks for your donation, we'll send you an excellent resource called How to Know God Exists by Josh McDowell and Thomas Williams. Ask for it when you give by calling 888-320-5885 or online at focalpointradio.org. And while you're online, find out how you can get a free copy of a booklet called 100 Prophecies Fulfilled by Jesus. This practical resource is yours when you let us know you're listening to Focal Point. Find out why you can confidently put your trust in God's Word when you request your free gift at focalpointradio.org. Well, I'm Dave Drewy, wishing you a restful weekend ahead. Pastor Mike Fabares will return next week with more encouraging messages to grow your faith. So be sure to come back Monday for more Focal Point. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.